You're tuned in to More Living with Jim Brogan. Broadcast live from the Brogan Financial Studios at News Talk 98.7, where old-fashioned values, expert knowledge, and genuine understanding come together to give you the retirement straight talk you deserve. Jim's a former National Advisor of the Year recipient and a financial educator, and he's here today to talk about how you can live out the best years of your life. Jim and the Brogan Financial Team have been helping retirees and pre-retirees across the Southeast for over 20 years in their pursuit of financial independence. You can reach them during the week at 865-862-6800. So sit back, relax, and get ready to learn, because more living with Jim Brogan starts now. Happy Saturday, East Tennessee, and welcome to More Living with Jim Brogan, where it's all about living the best years of your life your way. This is News Talk 98.7 WOKI. You know, politics plays an important role in our lives. The laws that protect our communities and our loved ones constantly hang in the balance. Now that the midterm elections are coming up, these laws and issues are at the front of our minds. And obviously, your opportunity to vote is a crucial part of taking action to protect yourself and your community and to grow your local community. But when it comes to politics and finances, it can sometimes get personal. In today's show, I'm going to talk about how typically midterm elections could affect the markets, what you need to know about potential legislation, And how do you need to be handling all of this going into the midterm elections? You know, there's a lot going on. We've got the Federal Reserve next week will be announcing more than likely another rate increase. And it's expected to be another pretty high rate increase. Three quarters of a percent. Some are even speculating it could be a full one percent. Where two weeks ago they were saying maybe a half a percent. So something's going to happen next week. Then I expect the Fed to try to sit on the sidelines a little bit and wait through the election so the midterm election stuff will start kicking up. How is all that likely going to affect your finances? So we're going to talk about how legislation and politics in Washington can affect all that. We'll also talk about the importance of constructing what I would call an apolitical retirement plan how a family financial plan can benefit you, and how the lack of one can harm you. And we'll do a discussion on retirement calculators. How do they work? What's the good and the bad? We'll also answer other common retirement questions you may have in the context of doing all of these things, because now's the time to prepare for some of the pitfalls you could face in retirement. So let's just kind of dive in. Let's talk about how do midterm elections play into your finances? And so there's, there's two big things here. There's one is how it affects the economy and the stock market. And then the other is how does legislation potentially impact you? So as a rule, the markets like a divided power. The most favorable outcome for the markets is generally considered to be if Republicans won control of both the House and the Senate. Or, if not both, at least one. That The markets typically would, would favor that outcome. Um, now, we don't know if that's going to happen, but historically investors have preferred shared power across the federal government. And I think that's 
due to checks and balances, one party not getting too, you know, too far out in terms of what they do and how that could affect future economies and future legislation. Um, now let's look at, you know, if you had a Democratic control or if you had a Republican control, what would be the difference? So as a party, what we typically see is with the Democrats, you typically see more regulation, right? Regulation as a rule is not as advantageous for markets. However, big government spending, which Democrats also often favor, usually results in a market boom. So the markets usually do very well with government spending. So just think about what's happened since 2020, since the pandemic hit. We have had massive amounts of government spending and stimulus, both from the federal government the, the, or the uh, you know Congress with all of this stimulus. And then we've also had policy from the Federal Reserve that encourages economic expansion because we're worried coming out of the great, you know, coming out of the pandemic. So um, the market likes government spending. Now, government spending also can lead to inflationary issues. And so that's kind of what we've seen in this latest cycle. We've seen huge run-ups in the stock market. We've also seen a real problem with inflation. And now the market is starting to react to the concerns about inflation. Then with the Democratic Party, you tend to see a, 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 an emphasis on higher taxes for the wealthier of individuals in the United States, as well as high-earning businesses. Now with Republicans, you typically see less regulation, uh, which could be good for markets. You usually do see less government spending, which isn't necessarily good for markets. Uh, you also usually see a push for lower taxation. Lower taxation, now we could get into a long debate about how that affects our federal debt and the future of our federal debt and our deficit spending. The bottom line is it is a concern. So lower taxes stimulate things economically but could lead to problems down the road uh, where the markets could then react negatively. So similar to how we've seen tremendous government spending in the last two and a half years that has now led to uh, an unintended consequence of inflation. So that, that's just kind of the, the type of thing that we could see over the coming months. Now, if we look at returns in the presidential cycle, the second year of a presidential term, which is also called the sophomore slump, and that's the year we're in right now, usually produces, historically has produced the lowest average return in the S&P 500, just under 5% per year. Uh, furthermore, the second and third terms of midterm election years result in the worst. And collectively, if we go back through history, the second and third quarters of a midterm election year, which is what we are in right now, have been negative slightly negative. And if you think about, you say, well, Jim, that's only slightly negative. I mean, if you think about how much the markets have surged over a period of 100 years or 80 years, you know, to be negative collectively in those middle six months, those middle two quarters is really pretty astounding. Okay. 
And then 2022 is proving to, at least so far, has been worse than that because of concerns about inflation and the Federal Reserve policy and how that is going to affect the economy down the road. Now then, what about the year after the midterms? Midterms usually lead to a surge in market prices after the midterms. And one reason for that has been speculated because there's less uncertainty after the midterm election. So we often see a little bit of a surge in the market. And then this party, this equity party, usually continues well into a president's third year in office when there's a push to stimulate the economy ahead of the next election cycle. So it's no coincidence that the best market returns historically have come during the third year or the the pre-presidential election year. That would be next year. On average, the six months after the midterm elections from November to April, the S&P 500 has gained 14.3% on average. In a, in a, that's a six-month period and has risen in price 95% of the time. So very often you see a positive reaction to midterm elections regardless of which party wins. Now, this is what the data says. That doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. Um, so it doesn't mean the markets are going to surge in the last two months of the year. It does not mean that the markets will surge next year. I'm just letting you know that I do want you to be careful. I hear a lot about how concerned people are in East Tennessee about the current state of things. Inflation rising interest rates, politics, Washington, D.C. You know, there's a lot of people that I meet with every week and when I teach my classes that are concerned about all this stuff. I think we have to be careful we don't overreact. And that's where an apolitical approach to your financial plan and your finances comes into play. We, as much as we can... We want to try to look at how we handle money apolitically. Now, that doesn't mean we ignore what's going on in legislation or what's going on in government spending or whatever it is. We absolutely should be cognizant about how those things may affect markets in the short and long term. However, we also know markets are completely unpredictable. They're very volatile in the long term. And I just want you to be careful that you don't try to sell or buy at the wrong time. One of the real keys to being successful is to be able to stay invested and for, for when we have market booms. That does mean you're probably going to be invested when we have market busts. But over the longer term, with a good financial plan, you can weather those storms. And we've talked about that often this, on this show about how we structure income to eliminate the, the, the effect of short-term volatility. So when I come back, though, I'm going to dive into how legislation may affect things. Uh, most notably, we had the SECURE Act pass in 2019, and we've got a SECURE Act 2.0 that currently sits in Congress. Uh, so how, how might future legislation affect you, and then how do you try to put that apolitical plan together? So stay with us. This is More Living with Jim Brogan right here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI.
There's something wrong with the world today I don't know what it is Something's wrong with our eyes Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back to More Living here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. We're with you every Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. and again from 3 to 4 p.m. You can also catch all of our podcasts online, broganfinancial.com. In that first segment, I talked about how midterm election cycles could affect the stock market and how changes in the congressional makeup could or could not affect the stock market. What about legislation? How can legislation affect your your finances? And then let's expand on this idea of having an apolitical financial plan that tries to take politics out of your views of your money and why that is necessary. Many people view finances and politics separately, but more and more I'm seeing people kind of merge those things together. The media coverage for the upturn mid- midterm elections, it's easy to think that the political issues and the finances can end up all blending together. Uh, but believe it or not, there are ways that we can plan for these kinds of things we want to be cognizant and aware of future legislation that could be passed and how that might affect us. And also, once legislation does get passed, how it might could affect us. But it's also important to understand that markets react very volatilely in the short term. And oftentimes, it takes years to find out what the fundamentals of an important piece of legislation, how those fundamentals could end up affecting the economy and the health of U.S. companies, which ultimately affects the stock market. So as an example, the SECURE Act was passed in 2019. It, it was The SECURE Act stands for Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. So it was meant to give us better tools and better rules and laws in place to help us create financial independence so we can be retired. The bill provides small businesses with the ability to have a unique retirement account that has a friendlier cost structure for the employer, incentivizes small businesses to offer retirement savings plans for their employees where they usually didn't before. So it makes it easier for the employer. The act pushed back the age at which you have to take your required minimum distributions from your retirement accounts, your RMDs. It pushed that age back from 70 and a half to age 72. Um, It allows 401k plans to offer annuities, commercial annuities, which would include potentially commercial payout annuities where you get like a pension type annuity for, for lifetime income. Now, then one of the big changes is it changed how we inherit retirement accounts from our families. Uh, We have to take all the money out within an eight-year, excuse me, eight, within a 10-year period as long as there is a named individual beneficiary. Well, these things obviously affect our planning. It affects, in many ways, for younger investors and younger workers, it affects your ability to save more money in a retirement account. It gives you better access to retirement accounts. That is good for the long-term health of the stock market. 
It also extended the age for required minimum distributions to 72. That gives you greater control of your income taxes because you now have an extra year or two before you have to start taking those taxable distributions. So all of these things, you know, I, I think offering some of the annuity payout options inside retirement accounts is probably a pretty good thing as long as it's offered with fiduciary advice and not advisors that just want to sell products for commissions. So change can be good. It can also create unintended consequences and challenges. So we'll just have to keep an eye on that. But, you know, Congress has proposed the SECURE Act 2.0. And the proposed changes would include some additional access to retirement accounts. So it just kind of expands on all those ideas. So it expands automatic enrollment in retirement plans like 401ks and 403bs. It raises catch-up limits in your retirement account. Maybe at age 62 is one of the things we've heard floated, is that if you're still working at 62, you can do additional catch-up. You know, right now you can do catch-up contributions once you're in the year you're, you turn 50. So this would add potentially another layer where you could catch up more as you age. It offers assistance to student loan borrowers. If you're unable to save for retirement due to student loans, you could be eligible for matching contributions to employer-sponsored plans like 401ks. It could delay RMDs beyond age 72 up to 73 or 74 or even age 75, which again gives you greater tax planning opportunities in retirement. And it, makes, it could make the process easier for small businesses by reducing paperwork and granting tax credits for offering employee retirement accounts. Now, we don't know what the final, a final bill would look like. I will mention that the first SECURE Act passed overwhelmingly. It was like 400 and something to three with the votes in the House. So SECURE Act 2.0, you know, after the midterm elections, and we have more congressional certainty for the next two years, it was clearly bipartisan before, so it could be bipartisan again. But this is just an example that when things like this happen, that is good for the long-term uh, prospects for investment. It also provides additional tax planning opportunities. It affects our financial plan. We can save more. We can get better tax benefits. There's all kinds of things that can affect your financial plan. So when these kinds of things happen, we want to be very cognizant of our opportunities and the potential challenges that could happen. Now, I mentioned this idea in the at the end of the first segment about creating an apolitical financial plan. So in other words, we, we, we want to be very careful that our political views do not affect us too much when we look at the economic outlook that you and I may have and how we view our money regardless of which side of the political aisle you are on. An apolitical plan, you try to, you try to block out the noise. So again, I, you're not ignoring you know, legislation. We're not ignoring the effect of Federal Reserve policy or government spending. But the reality is the two things that I believe very, very firmly about the stock market is one, it's very unpredictable, and two, it can be very choppy and volatile.
and it has been very choppy and volatile this year. I do believe that we will see stock market booms in future years. I don't know if that's next year, the following year, five years from now. How long will that boom last? I don't know any of that. But historically, we have always had periods of market booms. We also have always had periods of market busts. We never know when the next boom or bust may come. Markets are choppy. However, investing in the financial markets has been the best way to beat inflation long term. But they're very unpredictable in the short term. So a couple of key components I think you need to be aware of in having an apolitical financial plan where you don't worry too much about the short-term effect of politics because it is completely unpredictable and sometimes very surprising indeed. As an example, and I've talked about this before, most economists in the presidential election of 2016 said the markets would favor a Hillary Clinton victory and that if Donald Trump was elected, they expected a correction of 10% or more. That was kind of the aggregate view or the consolidated view of most economists. And that was due, I think, mostly to, you know, the, the markets, the financial markets, Wall Street knows what they would be getting with Hillary Clinton. And there was a tremendous amount of uncertainty of what we would be getting with Donald Trump. In fact, once Donald Trump was elected, the markets, as you know, surged tremendously in November and December. So you, sometimes we get very unexpected results. And so trying to time something like that, that's again where I say we've just got to be kind of apolitical. So two key things to keep in mind. One is understanding time horizon. You need long-term growth to fight inflation. And the best way to do that historically has always been the financial markets and specifically US, U.S. stocks and to some degree international stocks have been the best way to fight inflation historically in the long term. But in the short term, we have all this volatility and unpredictability. So you just can't depend on the stock market in the short term. So if you're getting ready to retire, you're already retired and you need income. Well, what do you do? You're in a quandary. You need money now or you need money next year or the year after. You're going from a savings phase of life into a spending phase of life. And one of the fundamental rules of wealth management is don't spend an investment loss. When, in other words, when markets are down, you don't have to sell off a mutual fund that's down, as an example, and use that money for income and spend it. Because then you've compounded your loss, now you're down even more, and it'll never come back because it's spent. And it's crucial that you don't spend investment losses in the first five to ten years of retirement, especially. Think about it this way. If you retire at 65, at this point, if you're married, one of you is going to probably live into your 90s, if not both. All right? So if you spend some steep investment losses in those first five years, you've, you need your money to last you another 20 to 25 years. That could be devastating. So what that means is you shouldn't depend on selling stocks or selling stock funds in order to generate income. Now, if you have stocks that yield dividends and you're just taking the dividends, that can be a part of an income strategy. 
because you're not selling shares of the stock. Just be careful with that because if that's all you're focused on, that can raise a new set of risks and challenges if you have to have stocks with higher dividend yields. That's going to eliminate a lot of stocks from consideration. It's going to also eliminate from consideration investment classes that don't generate a lot of income. And that can be a real challenge to a financial plan. Which kind of leads to my second point is having great diversification. Not just having everything in stocks or stock funds. And being careful with the traditional diversification of stock and bond funds. Because in a rising interest rate environment, bond funds can be a disaster. And they've been very poor this year. So having diversification really means you don't have a whole lot of stuff that just goes up and down together. You've got things that if one thing zigs, another zags. Okay, that way markets are unpredictable. If you own 9 or 10 or 11 different things, that instead of a lot in only one or two things like stocks and traditional bonds, you've got a lot of other different things. What do I mean? I mean things like maybe alternative investments, asset classes like real estate, natural resources, energy, commodities, uh, non-traditional bonds, uh, which can go up, have, have adjusting rates. So in other words, they can go up with the rising rate environment rather than down. There are all types of other types of investment asset classes that when one zigs and another zags. And what that does for you is when we unpredictably have a sharp market downturn, if you own nine or ten things instead of only two or three, hopefully you've got three or four things in your portfolio that are continuing to kind of doing a little bit better, helping buffer the downturn. They're helping hold the portfolio up. So something of a hedge for different types of conditions. But, but then if that's the case, then when the market booms, which can sometimes be unexpected, you're also going to be owning a few things that are not doing as well. So it's a classic trade-off of risk versus reward. We're going to have market busts. How much are you willing to go down in the, in the bust? We don't know when they'll happen or how much. But then when we do have market booms, if you're not going to lose as much in the bust, you're not probably going to be able to make as much in the boom. So it's just understanding those trade-offs. The great thing is we have great tools to measure risk. And measuring his risk based on history is actually a pretty good predictor of future risk. Not how much would you lose in a bear market or a bull market and when is it going to happen, but when the market is sharply down, how much will you participate in that downturn? If the market's down 40%, how much are you likely to be down? We can get a pretty decent idea. So it's just critically important to take look at those kinds of things and understand how to structure short-term income versus long-term growth so you can be apolitical in the short term. The final thing I'll say about being apolitical is take advantage of tax planning opportunities. You know, the reality is we're in a low tax environment today in terms of federal income tax as compared to where we've been in history. Our federal debt is the highest it's ever been if we look at it as a percentage of, the, of GDP. How big gross domestic product? How big is our economy? How big is our debt as compared to the size of the economy? You can't compare a, a, a 
27, 28 trillion dollar number today with a number from the 1970s or the 1950s. Number one, inflation has been tremendous over that time. And number two, our economy is a lot bigger, even inflation adjusted than it was back then. We've got a lot bigger population, a lot better, a lot bigger economic activity. How much is our debt as considered as compared to the size of the economy? Higher than it's ever been. Federal income taxes are as low in, in a low environment. That means taxes in the next 10 to 15 years are likely to go up. We've had incredible government stimulus over the last 15 years. We had it in the Great Recession. We had it with the pandemic. So what can you be doing now to save income taxes over the course of the rest of your life, understanding that we are shooting somewhat at a moving target? Now, when we come back, I'm going to get into the importance of having a plan for your family. And a plan for your family is a plan for you. So don't go away. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Welcome back. This is More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. Here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI this morning, we're talking about politics, trying to have an apolitical financial plan, investment plan, but being cognizant of things like income tax opportunities and also how things could affect the long-term nature of the market. But in the market has always got to be a long-term focus. In the, in the, in the short term, it's just a crapshoot. Now, a plan for your family is a plan for you. Believe it or not, having a financial plan for your family can help you optimize your retirement plan. You know, you care about providing for your family, whether it's a safety net in case of an emergency or a college fund for your kids or grandkids. But what if I told you there are wealth management practices that can help both you and your family thrive financially? So one is, does your family have an emergency fund? Now, I don't mean just you. I mean things like if you have especially young adult children, but it really could be any adult child, if your family's emergency fund is lacking, would you end up putting the bill in case there is a sudden expense such as an injury or the loss of a job? So if our children, our adult children specifically, have a better, have a good financial plan in place, it reduces or even eliminates the need, greatly reduces the need that, that we may have to step in and help. You know, unexpected expenses can set you back, and if you're not prepared, you may have to sell assets when they're down or withdraw early from a retirement account incurring more taxes. Are you making sure to address debt the right way? You know, I'm all about being debt-free. Uh, I'm not a believer in credit card debt. I think some debt on, I think debt on a house is okay. I think it's a great idea and rule of thumb to try to have your house paid for when you retire. 
but we also have to be careful about paying off debt. We have to p balance paying off debt with investing in our future because, you know, paying off debt can take up wallet share for saving for an emergency fund or retirement or college for your kids or other important life investments. But debt can build up, credit cards, mortgages, student loans. So you don't want to let that get out of hand. So it's important to have a financial plan where you balance paying off debt with building investment wealth. So prioritizing debt payments can be a great way to start chipping at, at, away at it and freeing up more room to invest in your family's future. And then what about your family's financial habits? You know, if your family's financial habits are lacking in one area or another, you may find yourself having to provide for them at points you don't expect, which would set your plans back. Plus, if you're doing retirement right, you're thinking about leaving something behind for your kids. If they aren't included in your overall plan and practices, they might make costly mistakes that you could have helped them avoid. Now let's talk about a couple fundamental things that are important for not only you to know, but also to think about for your kids. One is life insurance. Life insurance fundamentally is to cover a need where if something happened to a person, if they died, it would create a financial setback or financial distress to, the, to someone else, whether it's a, a, a surviving spouse or surviving kids or anyone else. What is the financial impact if someone passes away prematurely or at any time? So fundamentally, that's what life insurance is for. Now there become questions about do we do permanent insurance or term, temporary insurance? So term life is temporary insurance, very inexpensive. But if you outlive it, you don't get anything out of it. Permanent insurance, like whole life or universal life, is permanent. Um, not all permanent insurance, though, is guaranteed to be permanent. You don't, you don't want to keep paying what you think are permanent premiums. And then all of a sudden, you get to an older age, and the insurance company says, this isn't working as well as we thought. We need more money. But the bottom line is, Life insurance is to protect a need. Uh, now, can life insurance be a place to accumulate cash value at a, on a tax advantage basis? Um, you know, I don't have a lot of time to get in that today. It can be a place to accumulate tax-advantaged savings. But ultimately, there still needs to be an insurance need. If there's not an insurance need, I don't think you should be saving large amounts of money in an insurance policy. Um, and so which type of insurance you buy depends on do you have a temporary need or do you have a permanent need? Meaning, is it a permanent need that if you pass away, somebody will be impacted negatively financially? A lot of times later in life, that's not the case. Now, you do need to be careful. If you die prematurely and your spouse, if you're married, significantly outlives you, what is the loss of income? Is there a permanent need or a need until at least you both in your 90s? Those are very important things. So don't assume you don't have an insurance need when you retire. But 
it's usually not as big of a need as when you have younger kids. So think about your, your, your adult kids. If they're married, have kids, don't have an adequate amount of life insurance, and they're in an accident, what do you end up having to do financially to step up and help your grandkids or your son who lost his wife or vice versa? So it's important to be aware of these kinds of things. What about college savings? It's very normal for, grand, for grandparents to want to save for their grandchildren. We have many clients that want to help provide either education or something for their grandchildren, understanding the choices, things like 529 plans, which provide tax incentives. Roth IRAs can be a good source of retirement, of, excuse me, not retirement. Well, they are a great source of retirement funding, but I said that wrong. They can be a good source for college funding. But how do saving in these types of vehicles affect an application for financial aid? See, there's a lot of things that connect the dots here, and a good financial plan considers all of that. And then, of course, what about estate planning? Do you have your legal documents in place? Have you properly designated beneficiaries on your retirement accounts? And have you coordinated your beneficiary designations with your legal documents? Because, you know, the, the beneficiary designation trumps a will. It, it overrules it. It supersedes the will. So those things have to be coordinated together. That's one of the number one uh, issues I see with most people that have done estate planning. They haven't really coordinated those things together properly because things with a beneficiary designation pass outside the purview of the will. And then what if you have adult kids and they have a family and one of them dies without a will? And then how does that impact you? So, you know, helping our even adult children understand or have access to information about financial planning is not only important to them, it's also critically important to you. Now, coming up next, I'm going to talk about retirement calculators. Do they work? What are the pros and what are the cons? So stay with us as you're listening to More Living with Jim Brogan here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I got the first real six string, boy, it out the five and done. Played it till my fingers bled. Was the summer of 69. some guys from school had a bad Welcome back to News Talk 98.7's Brogan Financial Studios, where Jim Brogan is coming to you live with important news and advice to help you achieve your dream retirement. Get ready to learn and live. Here's your host, Jim Brogan. Thanks for tuning in to More Living this week here on News Talk 98.7 WOKI. I'm Jim Brogan. My college class at the University of Tennessee, uh, Financial Survival for Retirement, you may have heard that there in, the, in between our, our uh, segments in that break. It's coming up this Tuesday night, the next two Tuesdays, the 20th and the 27th. It's a two-night class, two two-hour sessions through the University of Tennessee's um, personal and professional development pro department, adult education. It's for people near or in retirement. I'd say with the, if you're within five or six years of retirement, if you're far further from retirement, you'll still learn a lot of great things. But it is catered to the retirement phase and how to prepare for that and be successful. E 
whether you're you're almost in it or already in it. You can find out more information. It's 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. both nights. I cover seven key areas to address in your retirement plan. Go to financialsurvivalforretirement.com. You can download a syllabus and click to register with the University of Tennessee. The course fee is $59 to the University of Tennessee. It is $99 for a married couple, so it does provide a discount there. So check that out, financialsurvivalforretirement.com. Do retirement calculators work? When it comes to determining your retirement plan, it's important to consider all the unique variables that pertain to your financial situation to create a realistic and workable plan for your future. This helps you create a comprehensive timeline for your retirement that can help you better understand where you're headed, where you can improve now, where you may be behind, and ultimately set yourself up better for for your retirement. So you may have come across something called a retirement calculator. Many of us have seen those that helps you take an approach, typically an unbiased approach, to assess your finances. But there are key drawbacks to over-relying on a retirement calculator. So what is a retirement calculator? It's a tool that is aimed at generally predicting how and when you can retire and how much you'll have at retirement based on variables that you input into the calculator. There are many different kinds online that you may find, whether it's calculating when you should retire, how much income you'll need in retirement, required minimum distributions from retirement accounts, and more. The goal of a retirement calculator is to provide general action-oriented advice to steer you in the right direction. So they typically ask you a range of 10 to 20 questions about your finances. You have to input numbers or select from multiple choice answers. And then the calculator will use those inputs to provide an assessment or solution and tips about what is needed to improve. So while they can be a useful tool to get a better understanding, it's not often recommended as a one-stop shop financial planner. What are the potential pitfalls? They can give you a big picture view of where you may be headed. But what what are the drawbacks? One is, what are the assumptions being made? And that's critically important. That's part of the inputs you put in. And, And as an example, what is your life expectancy? What if you live beyond that life expectancy? Should you let the calculator calculate it for you? Um, What about Social Security benefit calculations? They may not calculate. They may not be robust enough to really bring into, into consideration all of the Social Security income factors. What about inflation? What's the inflation rate? I mean, is inflation going to average 8% over the next 30 years? I seriously doubt it. Is it going to average 2%? I doubt that too. What do you do for inflation? What about investment growth rates? What do you plug in? And the reality is whatever you plug in, whether it's 5% or 7% or whatever, we don't just click along making 5 or 7% year after year after year. We have good years and we have bad years. We have years we do a lot better than 5% or 7%. We have years we do a lot worse. And one of the risks in retirement is when do those good years happen and when do those bad years? A retirement calculator is typically not going to be able to tell you that. 
And what is an income growth rate? How much do you need your income to increase as it relates to inflation? What are your needs for increasing costs in retirement? And then what things are not considered? Things like pensions, pension, pension income calculators that you, they usually don't include the pension choice, especially if you have a lump sum option versus a pension annuity option. What if you receive part-time income in retirement? A, a calculator usually doesn't, doesn't allow for that. Uh, what about major one-time expenses or windfalls? You know, you could have anomalies like a grandchildren's tuition bill or a, you could get a large inheritance. They're not often considered in standard calculators, which rely on predictable, consistent income streams and living expenses. So all of this is critically important. Thank you for tuning in this week. We've discussed a lot of content. Check out our podcast at broganfinancial.com. Thank you for tuning in this week to, to uh, News Talk 98.7 WOKI. The views expressed by Jim Brogan and his guests are not that of Cumulus Media. Any discussion of financial, legal, and tax planning strategies is not intended to be individualized advice and is general in nature. Always consult with your advisor for advice specific to your needs. This program's content does not represent a recommendation of any particular security, strategy, or investment by Jim Brogan or Brogan Financial Incorporated.